I'd like to begin with the antiphon that your musicians so brilliantly selected this morning. O Lord, you are my portion and my cup. It is you who uphold my lot. How lovely is that? In ancient Judaism, Jerusalem wasn't just an important city and the capital of a nation. It had an even greater significance. The cosmos itself was believed to turn on its pivot there. And in the entire world, there was one Jerusalem and one temple. Together, they constituted what anthropologists called the Axis Monday, the center point that pulled everything else into orbit. All worldly reality revolved around this point and found its center of meaning there. And moreover, the temple and Jerusalem were the place where the heavens above and the world of the dead below, future, present, and past, were joined in a singular, a unique point of interchange between God and the world. Thus, as Rabbi Nachman, one of the greatest Hasidic rabbis, would say later, wherever I go, I'm on the way to Jerusalem. And he was often paraphrased, all roads lead to Jerusalem. So in today's gospel reading, Jesus becomes increasingly aware that his three years of public ministry were approaching their fulfillment. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. The four Gospels differ about how much Jesus foresaw of what was to come. While John portrays Jesus as foreknowing everything, Luke's story is more ambiguous. And we're not sure if Luke thought Jesus knew he was about to be violently taken up onto a cross or whether these words were simply Luke's way of reminding us where we are in the story of Jesus. What we do know is that Jesus was being drawn to Jerusalem, the center of it all. Once you do try and picture in your mind Jesus in today's gospel, his jaw is set eyes focused, his heart on fire with determination. And with each step, he bends towards the holy city, like our scrub oaks along our Carolina coast, twisted permanently in the direction of wind and sea. And despite being routinely hospitable to Jesus, they did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. Jesus' admonitions to his followers acquire a tone of urgency. Take nothing for your journey. No staff or bag, bread or money. Not even an extra tunic. And on another occasion, he gave the crowds that had begun following him sobering advice. If any want to become my followers, 
Let them deny themselves, take up my cross, and follow me. Jesus' growing impatience with the crowds is palpable in this gospel. And in spite of the crowd being astonished at the greatness of God and amazed at all that Jesus was doing, he does not revel in adulation. Instead, he took his disciples aside saying, let these words sink into your ears. The Son of Man is going to be trade into human hands. In other words, forget the praise. This is not going to turn out well. The disciples, once again, didn't understand. For Luke reports that immediately an argument arose among them as to which one of them was the greatest. Jesus' frustration boils over, and he says, show me a child, he told them, and I will show you who is the greatest. The least among you is the greatest. Can you just hear him kind of huffing and saying, good grief, and his frustration. <laughs> when his disciples suggest the nuclear option, destroy the unnamed Samaritan town for its lack of hospitality, Jesus responded not by raining down fire like Yahweh at Sodom, but by rebuking his own followers. And essentially, Jesus refocused their attention on what awaited them in Jerusalem, and they moved on. Just then, someone in the crowd recognized Jesus, walks right up to him, nudges in front of us, and blurts out, I will follow you wherever you go. And my ugly self-talk says, what arrogance. Does this person have any idea what we've already been through? How hard the journey is? But before I can say, get to the back of the line, Jesus says, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. I'm not even sure what Jesus meant. <laughs> Yet my eye witnesses a compelling tenderness in his eyes. His hand reaching out to the unknowing and good-willed volunteer. He is, as Julian of Norwich will one day remind us always, he is our courteous Lord. Jesus lets this enthusiastic stranger know how hard this journey is, how few rewards there are for the important labors of life together as followers of Christ. He's letting all of us know that sometimes we pass through several towns, multiple journeys of success and defeat, before we find ourselves welcomed for the night. And it's been like this for Jesus his entire life. He was born in a borrowed manger. He and his parents had to flee for his life into Egypt. And before later moving back to Nazareth, which he would call home, Jesus has always been on the move, living on borrowed time, remaining faithfully steadfast on the journey that he alone was called to. 
Over the next several miles, there will be more encounters between Jesus and would-be travelers. And by this time in his journey, Jesus was well known as a healer, a creative teacher, a faithful man of prayer and compassion. Children adored him. Men of power despised him with equal intensity. And there was not much in-betweenness about Jesus. Trying to keep up with him was exhausting. And yet there was something that drew people in despite their having little idea what it would mean and cost to become one of his followers. We know what it's like to hear Jesus saying, follow me. And then experience time and again that life can get in the way. And maybe we're like the ones who responded to Jesus' invitation with earnestness. Lord, first let me go and bury my father. We find ourselves equally perplexed by Jesus' response. Let the dead bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. What we do know is that life has endless twists and turns. And the reign of God seems far away. We mean to follow, yet we often falter. And sometimes we even screw up our courage and declare, I will follow you, Lord. But let me first say farewell to those at my home. Having in mind a farmer who knows from personal experience how hard it is to plow rough ground, much less to keep the furrows straight and avoid the rocks, Jesus gives us a rebuke, saying, No one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. If you're going to follow me, as Martin Luther King Jr. was fond of quoting the gospel hymn, You've got to keep your eyes on the prize. Or as another version of the civil rights icon put it, keep your hand on the plow. Keep your hand on the plow. And even though all roads lead to Jerusalem, the one that Jesus is on is a road full of challenges, more dangerous by the mile. And to be a disciple... A follower of Christ is a costly calling. It's not for those who travel business class, much less first class. For on this road, the last are first, and the first last. And those who live to save their lives end up losing them. And those who are willing to take up their own crosses are invited to join. To be a follower of Christ in biblical times, as in now, is to choose to go on a journey with Jesus. That may not be the language most of us use to describe what it means to be a follower of Christ. And yet we too are called to take part in the journey towards the reign of God that God has in store for each of us. And so in the midst of this hot, dry stretch of June with July breathing down her necks, it's a good time to pause and to listen 
to where and how God is calling you to follow. How could your particular gifts help to create a place in your home and heart and community where all can find and be found by God? How do we, as disciples of Christ, ensure our children will have sanctuary for refreshment, courage, inspiration, comfort, and forgiveness so that others can see that they too are made in the image of God? We have heard God saying to us, as St. Paul said to the young church in Galatia, you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters, so do not use your freedom as an opportunity for self-indulgence, but become servants to one another, learning to love your neighbor as yourself. We've heard Jesus' challenge to leave the past to the past and take up his challenge to live into the future, to commit time, talents, and treasures to help make cities like Wilmington a place where God's costly love reigns supreme, even in the midst of the dangers and violence of contemporary urban life. As Christians, we know that although life began in a garden, it will find its true end in a city, the heavenly Jerusalem. With God's help, may we journey together, keeping our eyes on that prize. And may we choose to allow the future to have as large a claim on us as our past. Confident that at the end of the road lies the freedom for each person to fully become the creatures God so joyfully made us to be. We journey in the confidence of a love so broad and deep that one day may those things that divide us fade away as we become one and all neighbors in the reign of God. And let us not forget that whatever path we follow today or tomorrow or the day after, we're on the way to Jerusalem with God's Holy Spirit as our advocate and guide. And whatever we encounter along the road, let us never forget that Jesus, God's very child, has gone ahead preparing the way, journeying towards Jerusalem, towards God's reign, which is our mutual future. God bless you, each and every one. Have a fabulous summer. And I'll see you again, perhaps, in the fall. Amen.